News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Thanks a lot for listening, for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, and uh, the email is Pete at... Oh, you know what? I should probably open that up. Yeah, the email. I've been giving out my email address and I haven't even opened it up yet. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize if you've been writing and I haven't responded or read it. Okay. Uh, it's Pete at the Pete dot com. Oh my goodness. Okay, I've gotten emails. All right, so we'll uh, <laughs> uh all right. We'll circle back to these emails. Uh, but I, I do want to start off with this uh this news that came out over the weekend. Uh Democratic Party, North Carolina Democratic Party had its election. Um a whole bunch of uh, dead people showed up, and they had their... I'm kidding. I kid the Democrats. Come on. No, they uh, they had their party elections, and they threw out the entire party leadership. They voted out all, f- like, the top four members of their executive committee. The party's executive committee chose 25-year-old activist... Anderson Clayton for a two-year term. She is the uh, she's the Democratic Party chair of Person County, and she is also the president of the State Party Chairs Association. She campaigned on the need for change in the party, which is it hasn't had a good run <laughs> recently. It's had some problems, right? Democrats lost seats in the General Assembly. They lost control of the state Supreme Court. They got swept in the Court of Appeals races. Right, All the statewide races they lost. They lost the U.S. Senate seat race. Uh, Sherry Beasley lost, right, to Ted Budd. It was, it was not a good election for them here. She says that the state party wasn't doing enough to turn out its base and to help candidates in rural areas. I find this to be fascinating because a couple of weeks ago, I'm trying to remember who we had on the show, who I was interviewing about this. doesn't matter. Um, But I had mentioned, oh, it was uh, Chaz Beasley, right? The former state lawmaker uh, here in Charlotte. And they made him available to talk about something. I forget what, oh, the political article that was like Democrats in disarray in North Carolina, right? And so there is... There's a couple things going on here, right? So, but Beasley, they offered Beasley up to, you know, try to combat this narrative that North Carolina is not winnable for Democrats. And Democrats in this state are very concerned about this becoming a narrative that takes hold around the country. Because if people don't think that they can flip North Carolina, North Carolina is not going to get any money. And then it definitely is not going to flip. So that's why they pushed back on that Politico story. And that's what this is about as well. And there is this split. Don't call it a civil war. That only happens in the Republican side. Republicans are always pouncing and seizing and civil warring. Democrats are merely in disarray. So the Democrats in disarray in North Carolina are split between sort of these two different factions. And for lack of a better term, grassroots versus establishment. Sound familiar? Right, if it was Republican, total civil war there. But Democrats in disarray. 
This idea, though, that they they need to help candidates in the rural areas. A couple, uh, uh, I guess it was last week with Chaz, uh, Chaz Beasley. I asked him about Reverend William Barber, formerly of the Moral Monday protest marches and mass arrests in uh, North Carolina's General Assembly of about a decade ago. Now he's running the was it called the the Poor People's Campaign or something? And Barber went on one of the Sunday morning talk shows a couple of weeks back and said that the Democrats need to uh, stop chasing these suburban votes. They, they need to stop. And so this is an interesting move now where this 25-year-old, she's a, a and I only point this out because Democrats hyper-focus on all of the gender right or the uh, identity politics, Clayton Andrews, or sorry, Clayton, see, I just did it. Her name is Anderson Clayton. First name Anderson, last name Clayton, white female, and she defeated the incumbent for only one term. She was only there for a two-year term. Bobby Richardson, who was like 72 years old, a former state lawmaker, and the party's first African-American chair, elected in 2021. So this 25-year-old white girl beat the 70-something-year-old black woman. I guess I should say white woman, beat the black woman. But see, now this is not a narrative or this is not a lens that we are supposed to to, to look through when, when talking about this story. That is, the racial politics on this is completely ignored here in all of the reporting. She got on the first ballot, she got 46% of the vote, but there were... Uh, there was Bobby Richardson and there was like two other candidates that were in there, but then they dropped out after that first round of balloting and they endorsed Bobby Richardson. And then on the second ballot, Anderson Clayton won by 55 to 45%, won with a 10 point spread. Bobby Richardson was endorsed by Governor Cooper, Attorney General Josh Stein, the entire uh, Democratic caucus, though all of our uh, all of the uh, Congress members that are Democrats, they all supported Bobby Richardson. She had all of the the political heft behind her. The party machine was behind her. The Cooper machine was behind her, and she lost to this twenty five year old activist. Over at the Charlotte Observer, piece written uh, this is probably News and Observer because it's their well, it's their education reporter T. Kyung Hui, I think is his name. Uh, how he pronounces it. Bobby Richardson, 73, a former state lawmaker who had become the North Carolina Democratic Party's first black chair in 2021, defeated uh, by Anderson Clayton. Richardson entered Saturday with the backing of Governor Cooper, State Attorney General Josh Stein. All seven Democrats in the state's congressional delegation, voters at Sunday's virtual meeting, heard a video from Cooper making a last-minute pitch for Bobby Richardson. In a show of unity, after she lost, though, Cooper and Stein congratulated Clayton. Stein is running for governor in 2024 because Cooper can't run for another term. Another party leader, former state senator Floyd McKissick Jr., I would point out, also black, ousted on Saturday. 70 years old, he lost his reelection bid for party first chair to Jonah Garson, an Orange County attorney. White guy. I only point these I'm only pointing out these demographics because these are the standards that the Democrats want us all 
to live by. So I figure I would apply these same standards to them. They have a quote in this piece from a guy named Carl Newman, Durham Democrat leader of some sort. And he said it's going to be important having a person from a rural part of the state serving as party chair. He said they're also expecting that Clayton will be a more active party chair. Now, that is something I hear from, like, all these different reports, all the people that know her and have worked with her, that she's, like, super active. And uh, the 73-year-old Bobby Richardson, not so much. And I, I totally get that. I totally get that. But I also wonder, like, Richardson only had two years, and maybe that's plenty of time to be able to right the ship or something. But let's be honest, the Democratic Party infrastructure has been in trouble for a while, right? Um, before Sunday's election, Clayton had talked about the need for the party to do more in rural areas. Democrats did not field candidates in some rural areas in last year's election. And uh, Clayton said, quote, I want to make sure that every person has a way to say they are proud to call themselves a Democrat, particularly in rural North Carolina right now. She said, I don't know. I really want our party to be a place for anybody. Well, except for pro-lifers, right. So they need to lose not as badly. The problem that they have, and this is mentioned in another story, when it comes to recruiting candidates in non-urban centers, is that people who throw their name in the hat and then hat in the ring to run for office and register or, or run for file for office as a Democrat, uh, they then report being shunned by their community <laughs> because they are now running as a Democrat. And their community doesn't doesn't think too highly of that, and so they then show, and so they don't want to look. At, but I love this idea because this is exactly what happens. This is what happens to Republicans as well, except Republicans usually get the death threats too. I mean, that's the nice part about being a leftist is that you get to make all the death threats against people and never suffer any repercussions for that. Gary Pierce, who is a longtime Democrat consultant, strategist guy, he writes a blog called TalkingAboutPolitics.com. And uh, he looks at what he calls the three divides in the Democrat Party. I'll tell you what they are in a moment. I got a message here from Christopher who says, uh, Anderson Clayton Pete, you did not give us her pronouns. I apologize. I looked at her Twitter account here, and her pronouns are she, her. She, her. Um, and I haven't actually, I don't know if I've told you, my pronouns are your majesty. So... <laughs> No, it's not. I'm just kidding. It's not true. Um, American Pitbull says, bless you, Pete. Canada geese, not Canadian geese. Yes, I made that mistake one time in a news story many, many, many years ago, and somebody corrected me, and I looked it up, and I was like, wow, I feel like an idiot. So it happens often, though. Um, All righty, so let's go back to the uh, state Democratic Party has its big uh, election for its leaders, and uh, the... The top leadership, three of the, so there were three, well, there were four seats up for election. One of them was was open. But all three of the incumbents were swept out and put in place were all of these young activist types. And so this was one of the divides that Gary Pierce noted in a, a piece at his blog talking about politics.com called Can Democrats Go Country? Three divides emerge, young versus old, rural versus Raleigh. And grassroots versus headquarters. 
He says, one young Democrat texted me, quote, there's a lot of talk around rural organizing, but no one mentions the time it was done well and effectively. <laughs> right. So there's a lot. Yeah, we're going to organize the rural areas. But OK, well, when was that done? And so Gary Pierce knows because he's been in politics on the Democrat side for a very long time. And he says, yeah, Governor Jim Hunt's county key system. They probably don't mention it because they weren't alive. I was. He says the county key system began with Terry Sanford's campaign for governor in 1960. Sanford and his campaign manager, the legendary Burt Bennett, were World War II veterans and their organization mirrored the military. Sanford was Ike leading the invasion. Bennett was George Marshall planning behind the scenes. Below them were area keys. That's K-E-Y-S, keys, right? Area keys, each overseeing several counties. Then there were county keys in charge of raising money, turning out voters. A key who didn't cut it was relieved of command and replaced. Well, there's your first problem right now. I mean, that's you could not do that nowadays. That would seem to be some sort of a merit-based system. And we know Democrats don't want that. So <laughs> I don't know how you're going to replicate it. But good luck. Um, what uh, Jim Hunt ran uh, when he ran for lieutenant governor in 1972, Bennett rallied the Sanford Keys behind him. Okay, so this was the machine that that they had that Democrats have always run the state with machine politics. The Cooper machine is no different. And um, this is what Pierce is throwing out there as sort of this template. But it has some limitations. I mean, you might imagine that being 60, 50 years old might not be exactly applicable or relatable now. So three things of note today. First, North Carolina is a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger now than it was, right? Counties were easier to organize back then, and voters listened more to local leaders. Also, um, that was before a lot of the rural and small-town voters took a hearty dislike to a Democratic Party that stands up for civil rights, women's rights, and LGBTQ plus rights. So there's the... There's the the big lie that the Democrats tell themselves where, like, all of the racists and homophobes, they all became Republicans overnight. And all the, the progressives, they, they, they took over the Democrat Party. Third, the key system, which, by the way, that's, well, there, there are many, many reasons why the change in voter affiliation has changed. And part of it is that Democrats have gone a little bit crazy. <laughs> on a lot of things. And for example, if you are a pro-lifer and you check any of these other boxes, they still don't want you to be in their party. You are not welcome. They said this as much. Um, third, the key system stood apart from the party structure. It's hard to change the party's habits and culture. It's hard, especially today, to get people excited about a party. In fact, uh, Democrats are, I just saw our friend uh, Andy Jackson here on the Twitter machine. He actually just posted some of the latest um, voter registration numbers. He, he tracks this stuff on a week-by-week basis. And, um, well, I'll, I'll find it later. But it was, uh, Democrats lost like 500 registered voters. And, uh, you know, unaffiliated generally pick up voters week-to-week, month-to-month. But Republican uh, registrations have been increasing at the same time. And uh, the number one registration is actually unaffiliated 
in North Carolina. Number two is Democrat. Number three is Republican. And remember, the Democrats have this institutional advantage, this systemic advantage, you might say, because they ran the state for 150 years through, you know, terrorism, but also nepotism and patronage and a spoils system uh, through these different machines. It was all one party. And, they, and then they would literally murder Republicans who tried to win. So and black people, right, with the with the Klan. So he's, Gary Pierce says <clears throat> that he's pulling for the for the young Democrats. So he wrote this before the election. He said he's pulling for the upstarts. North Carolina needs them. They won't win rural counties, but losing 70 to 30 percent is better than losing 90 to 10 percent. And they are right that in 2022, Democratic candidates did not inspire enough young, urban, black and progressive voters. So Colin Campbell, who used to work at the News and Observer, I believe, and then went to the North Carolina Tribune. But now I think he's going to work for the NPR station in uh, Raleigh. He wrote, if Clayton or another challenger wins, it'll be a huge rebuke for the party establishment, not just Richardson. It would be a sign of weakness for Cooper and Stein at their top. uh, Yeah, for Cooper, Stein and their top political advisor, fellow by the name of Morgan Jackson of Nexus Strategies, which worked on a lot of key races last year. A Clayton win would signal that the party's younger grassroots activists are not happy with the status quo and want a bigger role in leadership. They could easily also extend to Demo- uh, that could extend to Democrats' longstanding status quo of picking a white attorney general or lieutenant governor over the age of 50 to be their nominee for governor and could lead to more primary challengers against Stein. And I saw lefties say they're like, no, no, no. But there's a guy named Michael Regan, right, working in the administration came out of North Carolina, there's indications he might want to run for governor, too. Younger guy, African-American, well-accomplished. North Carolina Democrats sent a message to the state party's establishment. The party needs better leaders. Members of the North Carolina Democratic Party on Saturday ousted their sitting chair, their first vice chair, and the second vice chair, voting instead to elect new candidates to the top four leadership positions. The overhaul comes three months after the party failed to win a single statewide race in the midterm elections. See, at least Democrats, I got to give them credit here, right? They fired their leadership after a, a terrible performance. National GOP, they put them, they put Ronna McDaniel right back in charge, and she's blown like five, uh, five different election cycles now, right? That's... That's kudos to the Democrats, like knowing something's not working. I might direct your attention to government in general, maybe next time. They, okay. um, this also comes two months after Meredith Cuomo, who had served as the party's executive director since 2019, announced her resignation as well. Uh, Bobby Richardson, 73 years old, longtime state lawmaker, um, the first African-American to be uh, party chair of the Democratic Party. Um, she's the first sitting party chair in at least a decade to lose a re-election bid. I mentioned earlier Floyd McKissick, longtime uh, uh, lawmaker as well. He lost his first vice chair spot to Jonah Garson. And uh, Kimberly Hardy defeated the incumbent Matt Hughes. And then there's another fellow, Elijah King, um, 
he got the open seat. The election served as a referendum. This is a, a WRAL's website by Paul Specht. The election served as a referendum on North Carolina's Democratic establishment and its current leaders could have done a better job in the midterm elections. Clayton, Anderson Clayton, she, her, right? Or her, she, her, she, her. How do you say that? Is there a rule? Because if I say it, her, she, it sounds like chocolate. Okay. But uh, she was one of three challengers who claimed that the state organization was not doing enough to turn out its base and help candidates in rural areas. She said, quote, we cannot rely that urbanization is going to save the Democratic Party of North Carolina. We have to win in the state that we live in today. We do that by winning back some of the voters we have lost by being crazy. Winning, no, I'm shooting the crazy part. Winning more counties like Nash County, Scotland, and Anson, and turning out more of our own voters. Analyses of the midterm election results show that turnout among regular Democrat targets, young voters, black voters, voters in metro areas, fell short of participation levels in 2018. Roy Cooper addressed those losses in a video endorsing Bobby Richardson. That, that ran right before they started voting. And what Roy Cooper is saying, my good friend Ray, uh, along with his political guy, uh, Morgan Jackson, who's also you know behind the run Josh Stein is making for governor, it's all about the Benjamins. See, they couldn't make enough money. They couldn't get enough money to compete, which is sort of an interesting argument. But it is laid out in another piece here from uh, February 8th. And Jackson is quoted in a piece at the Assembly. Right? So the party's main job is turnout. That's what Bobby Richardson told the Assembly. And she also said that was the biggest problem. In 2018 midterm elections that were driven by Donald Trump's unpopularity, 55% of registered voters voted in North Carolina. This past election, only 51%. So they lost 4%. And that was enough. Turnout among young voters, voters of color, both core demographics for Democrats, well below what Democrats needed. Catawba College political scientist Michael Bitzer has calculated that if all of the registered Democrats who voted in 2018 also had voted in 2020, Beasley would have won. So what's the thing to what I take from this? Donald Trump is great for Democrat turnout. Donald Trump turns out Democrats. He does. You could say he turns out Republicans as well. Whatever. I'm not making an argument for against. I'm just pointing out that when he wasn't when he wasn't. On the ballot, so to speak, didn't matter. Uh, the, dem- the the voting didn't matter to certain demographics. The drop off in Democrat turnout it did not happen in other battleground states. Turnout increased in states like Michigan, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, and they succeeded there. So, what happened in North Carolina? Morgan Jackson says it was the money. He said, "I think the party has a very important role to play in the election cycle and how they generate enthusiasm and turnout voters, but." You have to be a magician to do that without the resources. They then calculate the uh, the money. So the Democrat Party raised more than the Republican Party, the state parties did, by like $9 million. Um, Sherry Beasley raised like almost three times as much as Ted Budd did. But the outside dollars that were spent 
in North Carolina from the Republican side of the aisle versus Democrat side of the aisle, it was not even close. $72 million were spent in support of Republicans from outside groups. Democrats only had $23 million. So it was like a $50 million delta that even with uh, the Democrats, you know, because I totaled them all up and basically Republicans raised like $107 million and Democrats raised $56 million. National Democrats, and here's the problem they're facing, National Democrats did not consider North Carolina a priority. They wanted to protect Senate incumbents in Georgia and Arizona and Nevada. And that after that, they focused on Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, which had high-profile races for both senator and governor. And when you face such a disparity, Jackson says Democrats' messaging couldn't break through. Right, The old, though, they don't know what we stand for. Across the country, Democratic voters were motivated by anger over abortion rights and denial of the 2020 election and the insurrection. But in North Carolina, potential Democrat voters didn't see Bud as an extremist because Democrats did not invest money here so that voters knew who he was. And so turnout suffered. So this then becomes sort of a self-perpetuating cycle, right? That if the outside groups and this national party and fundraisers, if they don't think North Carolina is winnable, then they They don't spend any money here. And then if they don't spend any money, it's not winnable. And this is why you got North Carolina Democrats right now pushing back on this narrative that has started to calcify that this is not a flippable state. This is not a purple state. And that's why they get so mad when you say it's not a purple state. Because they, like those who know in politics, right, they understand that if you get branded as not winnable, not flippable, you're not going to get the money, and then you definitely are not going to be winnable or flippable. And the General Assembly will continue to be dominated by Republicans. And the state uh, council of state races, the governor, lieutenant governor, those races will go more and more Republican. I mean, that's a there are 10 seats on council of state, and six of them are held by Republicans. Democrats have not won a U.S. Senate race since Kay Hagan. The late Kay Hagan. And she lost after one term to Tom Tillis. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, there was also a pretty good rundown from a fellow named Rob Tabor. Uh, he's affiliated with some leftist group, Forward Carolina. And uh, he says uh, he, he does an, ex, uh, an explainer thread. For all the people that want to know what this is all about, this election uh, uh, upheaval... Uh, inside the Democratic Party, what it's all about. He says, if you're not from this state, I'll explain it to you. And then he get, he does a, a bit of a tweet storm. All righty, so uh, a guy named Rob Tabor with Forward Carolina put out a series of tweets trying to explain what we saw in the Democratic Party of North Carolina in their big election upheaval this weekend. He says, uh, this isn't Nevada in 2021, it's Wisconsin in 2019. The only big ideological difference between the past party officers and the new ones is labor, specifically the negotiations over the North Carolina Democratic Party staff union. You remember that? You remember that was embarrassment? Yeah, like they had their campaign organizers and they, and they were they were trying to organize into a union and then they, it erupted into this public uh, fight over their contract and you know that they were playing hardball in these negotiations, trying to unionize and stuff. Anyway, um, Beyond that, it's about it's more about professionalizing the party and its approach to actually winning elections. Uh, Anderson Clayton's first big job in professional politics 
was as an Iowa field organizer for Kamala Harris. She then worked... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, uh, you got to start somewhere. She did not do well. Kamala Harris. Then, then she went to work for Elizabeth Warren. No, oh, she's... Okay, um, and then... Oh, for the love of me. Amy McGrath in Kentucky... That, that doomed campaign that sucked up like tens of millions of dollars that could have otherwise gotten other Democrats elected elsewhere. Because, no, no, we're totally going to take out the turtle, cocaine Mitch. It's totally going to happen. Her style, so, so those are the three campaigns. Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Amy McGrath, all of them lost. Okay. I like her style. Her style is a door-knocking, boots-on-the-ground consensus builder, he says. Okay. If you say so. Three of the big changes folks want to see here, he says. More consistent organizing, more fine-tuned messaging, though less running away from the National Party. Yes, please. Yes, please. Less running away from the National Party. Embrace him. Embrace them. Prove North Carolina is a good place for Dem investment by winning statewide and improving margins in the state legislature, right? That's what I was saying. This is the this is the fear. We saw it with their rapid response to the political piece, suggesting North Carolina was it just keeps breaking the national Democrats' hearts. I mean, those that have them. I kid, I kid. Some of the best volunteer organizations in our state have already hosted Michigan Democrat leaders to walk us through how they secured their first trifecta in 40 years. And we've learned a lot. We're eager to start implementing, experimenting, finding best practices. The North Carolina Demo- uh, Democratic Party is, in my opinion, hungry for victory in a way I saw glimmers of in 2018. But beyond that, has largely been absent before. Now, not everybody is happy, he says. Some of the not happy people are very well connected. Some may even spread rumors. North Carolina Democrats are great at running malicious Whisper campaigns. This is why I always love reading the the these types of arguments that they have. You know, when this stuff spills out, you you, you they're great at running malicious whisper campaigns. Yeah, we we're aware, we are aware. Um, and the, he says that this is a trait that these new leaders explicitly ran a campaign to end. The, the the malicious whisper campaign. Okay. As I mentioned the other night, he says something that stood out about the Michigan Democrat leaders is that uh, is how willing they are to recognize one another's strengths and good work. That's something that's been lacking in certain corners of the Democrat Party. And the new leaders are trying to kindle. So if you hear things, remember that today's elections weren't particularly close, nor were they particularly bitter. The new leaders have a robust mandate from the uh, Democratic Party Executive Committee. Um, And so they're like, oh, by the way, donate. Yeah, send us more money. (laughs) Um, Sam Spencer, local Democrat here in Charlotte, said this has everything to do with the strength of uh, Anderson and her campaign and nothing to do with the governor or the attorney general. Showing her Iowa caucus experience, she did the work, hit the road, got out her voters, almost all of whom are behind Roy Cooper and Josh Stein, 100%. Um, 
Wilson Brown says that this idea that uh, this could pose a problem for Roy and undermine him and weaken him. Um, Clayton and her coalition are fully behind Governor Cooper and A.G. Stein. Seems like uh, GOP staffers are really loving this inaccurate reporting. Yeah. Oh, we are. I'm not a GOP staffer, but I'm loving it. Yeah. If it's going to weaken Ray, more of it. Thank <laughs> you.